Hustle culture is cute in theory, but eventually it leads to burnout and lack of fulfillment. Then again, as enticing as it sounds to sit in meditation for years as a monk, abandoning Western culture altogether is not really an option for most of us. So where is the in-between? I like to think of it as a world where dreaming big and living slow coexist. I'm Tia, host of Dream Big Live Slow, a podcast for entrepreneurs like myself seeking a life of soul-filled work that still allows time for those slow moments that make us feel the most alive. Join me as we break down realistic mindfulness tools used by real entrepreneurs working towards a life of both dreaming big and living slow. Also, be sure to check out the end of every solo cast episode for free guided meditations. All right, let's do this thing. Hi, hello, wherever you are, thank you for tuning in. Um, this episode is all about attachment, um, which is one of the root causes to a lot of our suffering. And it is a staple of a mindfulness practice um, to work through this attachment. And so I am excited to dive in with you. But before we do that, um, please, please, please subscribe, share this podcast. If you are enjoying it, share it with a friend, tell them, Hey friend, I think you would really enjoy this. Um, and let me know your thoughts as well. Um, but just sending you lots of love angels and thank you for listening. Okay. Here's the episode. Okay. Starting this episode with some story time. Um, because yeah, that's, that's a fun way to do it. Um, this is not a political episode, despite what I am about to share with you um, to start. But um, it was kind of my first time realizing uh, the suffering that attachment causes uh, in our world. And um, so five years ago, um, I was attending President Obama's final State of the Union address, which is wild. Um, I was a little intern um, for the Scripps Howard Foundation Wire, and basically it was a really rad internship where I was actually reporting on all these things happening in Washington, D.C. Um, however, it was... <laughs> no one really read <laughs> the work. It was more like portfolio building, but it was really, really... Um, so such an incredible internship, like they even canceled it because it was so awesome. They realized, wow, we're like, um, you know, having college kids report in Washington, DC. Anyway, so I was attending, um, this state of oh, President Obama's final state of the union address. And I watched starstruck. I know that I am such a nerd for saying that. Um, but as all the senators and representatives rolled in, like Bernie Sanders, Marco Rubio, Nancy Pelosi, Beto O'Rourke, Mitch McConnell, like they all walled through the doors and it was a 2016 election cycle. So it was like, you know, what a time to be in DC, if you know what I'm saying. And um, as a college junior, 
um, I was live tweeting the State of the Union address. Like, I absolutely peaked in college, obviously. Um, But the thing started and I had no idea what to expect because up until that point, I had only really been paying attention to politics for about a year. I don't know if you guys remember that, but like um, when, I don't know, my parents really didn't, it's horrible, but they didn't, I didn't really like know anything about politics until I got to college and started paying attention myself. But it's, I guess that's the, the innocence of youth and maybe it's a good thing because once you start paying attention, it's really emotionally taxing. Um, but anyways, um, so what I observed throughout the State of the Union address really stuck with me. I think about it so often, especially in the world of politics that we live in. But um, yeah, the entire event felt like this choreographed song and dance Except, unlike most theater performances I had been to, the protagonists and antagonists weren't so obvious. Um, (laughs) I just envisioned an imaginary conductor lifting their arms to the cadence of Obama's voice. At the end of every statement from the president, the conductor would point to the left and the left side of the aisle would erupt in applause and joyful chanting and the right side played their role incredibly well too and they appeared disinterested and disgusted with every word complete with eye rolling snarled faces like the occasional booing i mean it did not matter what he said everyone knew exactly how they needed to behave no matter what didn't matter what he said and it was just like (laughs) between the left and the right no matter what came out of his mouth no one broke character the entire time as Obama was finishing his last like statement the Dems erupted chanting praising like Woohoo's, you know, as he gave his final monologue, they knew it was his last one, they just erupted. And while he was speaking, before he could even finish his sentence, the GOP stood up and stormed out the house chamber. It I just couldn't believe it. I've reflected on this so many times of no matter what he said, everyone was so attached to the identity surrounding Democrat or Republican, that it didn't matter if they actually, you know, enjoyed something that he was saying. They just behaved however their attachment told them to. The places that I've read the most about attachment are in um, Buddhist and Toltec text. And many other modern iterations of mindfulness studies I have also read. And it's the idea that humans are so attached to their thoughts, beliefs, and ideas that that attachment ultimately causes them all of their suffering throughout their lives. 
During the State of the Union, both parties demonstrated a blind attachment to their beliefs. No matter what he said, each person in the room didn't have to think about how they felt. (laughs) They didn't have to think about anything because they were attached to their role as Democrat or Republican and knew how to feel from that attachment. This is just one example of attachment, but it really demonstrates how our attachments, no matter what they are, can keep us closed off, in a closed off state of mind, closed off to love and acceptance and compassion and these higher states of being, as opposed to keeping us in smaller states where we're full of hate and fear when we're really attached. You know, we can be in defense mode, defending our stories, defending our beliefs, so in attachments that we're so, so tightly clung to that it can create all this suffering instead of keeping us open-minded and open to love and acceptance and, and compassion for other people, compassion for ourselves, and seeing how we are all one in this world, um, our oneness in a way. Um, So that's one example, but I thought I'd give some more examples to really get the full feel of what this means. So um, another ridiculous example (laughs) and um, of absolutely unnecessary suffering created from an attachment is uh, my husband, Uh, with the Green Bay Packers. For those of you that are not into the sports things, uh, that is an NFL team. And um, they, he is so attached to the identity of being a Packers fan that if they lose, he is, he is sad for days. Or if they have a bad, it's as bad as if they have a bad draft and like drafting the players that year. He is sad for days. And if they win, he's in a great mood. He's like kissing me when they, you know, score a whatever touchdown <laughs> um, and sports. So, um, This is an obvious example of complete unnecessary suffering because he is emotionally invested. And um, it's just because he has been attached to this idea that he is a fan and he is a diehard fan and it affects him like, um, and like this is his story and he doesn't, you know, zoom out and see that it's really in the grand scheme of life, not a big deal. Um, And that he can still be happy. if the Packers lose. Um, I guess another example, when it comes to our work, for any perfectionists out there, um, perfectionism is so crippling when we are attached to the idea that, and the story, that we must be perfect. We must always be the best and absolutely perfect in everything we do. And um, that attachment can lead to create so much suffering on so many levels, but specifically with work, it can keep us from trying new things in our business because, um, or in our career, because we are 
we we don't want to do it until we believe we are perfect at it, which there is no such thing as being perfect. So it can really, really um, mess with our minds. For me, when I turn in a client project, um, I get really attached to the idea that, you know, like if they don't love it, I am, you know, the perfectionist mentality cripples me in this sense because my anxiety gets so, so bad when I deliver client projects because I'm so attached to that story that I must be perfect, you know, and, um, like I must always be the best and, um, which of course I always want to do my best, but always being perfect is very different than always doing my best. But this is kind of, I thought it would be helpful to kind of break down the anatomy of one of these attachments, of an attachment. So it usually starts with a feeling. A feeling comes up, let's use this example of work for me, anxiety is coming up. Um, I'm super, super anxious, irritable, and I don't know why. Um, so I notice this uncomfortable feeling and I begin to ask myself questions. That feeling is a result of a thought. So what thoughts am I having right now? Well, that thought um, is that I am really, really nervous about a shoot tomorrow or something. Um, I'm really, really nervous about a project. And I notice that thought, but that thought then is tied to a story or a belief that I am so attached to that it's creating this suffering of anxiety. And I know that I'm not going to die <laughs> and I'm, I'm not going... The worst that could happen is that someone doesn't like my, my video that I deliver them. But I'm so attached to the idea that everyone must love me and think that I am perfect at what I do. And I believe that I need to be perfect um, in order to be worthy of love and happiness. So, so that's where I'm so attached to the idea of being perfect and never making a mistake that it creates all this suffering. That's kind of the way to figure out what your attachment is. You can work backwards from the feeling to the thought that is creating that feeling and what story or belief are we attached to that is creating the thought then it's like how do we even then what what do we do with that well being aware of it is is also nice but um our brains create these neural pathways through repetition so we have repeated these stories to ourselves over and over again to where it's literally the way our brain is now wired. And these can even be stories that you heard over and over as a kid or, you know, that societal training and programming has convinced you is truth to where it's completely subconscious now. And you don't even realize that you're attached to an actual story that you may not even fundamentally agree with. You may get so defensive when 
someone hates on the color yellow because it was your favorite person in the world, your grandma's favorite color. This is a really stupid example, but you, but deep down, you know that that has nothing to do with your grandma, but it's so subconscious and your brain is now wired to associate that color with your grandma and it just gets all sorts of weird and you get yell at people on the street for hating yellow. Not all of these attachments are bad and or as stupid as that one that I just gave you, but it's just to prove that um, a lot of the suffering that we have can be tied to a story that we don't even really believe is true anymore or that is not important to us anymore. But our brains are making us think that it really matters for some reason in the grand scheme of life. And once you get to the kind of the bottom of what that attachment is in a story and you say, I don't really think that that's my truth anymore. (laughs) My truth. Um, (laughs) I don't know why that felt corny. Um, But I don't want to be attached to this story anymore. It's not serving me anymore, essentially. Then we kind of have to rewire our brain the other way. We have to pick a different story and then literally repeat that story to ourselves over and over and over again. So out loud, waking up, saying it in the morning, saying it at night, meditating on it, um, writing it over and over and over again. But those mantras or affirmations um, is typically what they're called (laughs) and repeating affirmations repeating mantras are ways of rewiring our brain and writing a new story for ourselves so it can be really really overwhelming um, because you can find so many stories that you want um, to fix like I'm like uh it, it can just get very distracting when you're like, oh yeah, no, that's got to go. Nope, that one guy's got to go. So I just encourage taking it one at a time if you want to practice this. Um, but one at a time, picking the story and picking um, a new story to repeat to yourself and train your brain and, and spend, you know, a month or so on one, just one, and see how it goes. But um, instead of a meditation this week, I kind of thought that that could be a great practice um, because it is whatever meditation you're doing, incorporating that into starting with some breath work and then repeating your mantra over and over and over again until, you know, you just, you got to convince yourself. It might not, it's going to take some time to feel... um, (laughs) it's you're not gonna believe yourself at first probably because you've worked so hard your brain has worked so hard convincing you that the other way is the truth um but this is all to say that noticing our attachments and just choosing the ones we want can be so helpful because our attachments do create a lot a lot of suffering and emotional turmoil that we don't have to experience and we can be in a state of openness and compassion and love for ourselves and for everyone around us if we stop being so attached to you know if we stop trying to defend our stories and our attachments so fiercely 
So that was a little intro into attachment, but basically mindfulness and meditation are all about detaching from the things that we hold so tightly to us, our, you know, attachments, our stories, our beliefs um, that we just cling so tightly to and that create all of our suffering. So, and it, you know, the more detached we become, the more we flow with life, being, being attached to plans and schedules and outcomes and results, it just goes so much deeper and further. Um, so we can always be looking at our attachments and that's kind of the, the mindfulness journey, um, that I am on and that, that most everyone who is on this this spiritual path will say is that letting go of our attachments and um, flowing more and trusting into the the divine more, that's kind of the intention with this spiritual path is to dive deeper into that and to continually practice um, detaching and letting go and Um, trusting in the divine and growing in love and compassion and peace in those higher states of being. Anyways, I could give you infinite books, book recommendations on this. So if you have specifically interest in kind of learning more about what the heck I'm talking about, um, shoot me um, a message on Instagram or write me an email. Um, I would love to um, talk more about this with anyone interested. And, um, I guess I'll end here with, uh, this podcast is not sponsored. So, um, what supports this podcast is my videography business, which is where I tell stories through video, just like I do here, um, of just important stories of people who are on a mindful mission in their lives. Um, and I love, I love telling, um, you know, the stories of entrepreneurs who are working to create change in their own little way and create good in this world in their own way. So if you need your story told in any way, um, feel free to reach out. And, um, I will be soon having some um, coaching services coming, and I'm really, really excited. Um, So until then, uh, keep tuning in, and thank you so much for listening. It means everything to me. And have the best day and all my love.